Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. One of the last uh, song, I think the last verse, it said then that Church of Christ was born, and that's what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2. I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles there, and we read Joel 2 for a specific purpose. It's quoted here in uh, Acts 2, and so I guess you'll get to read it twice. We read it earlier in Scripture reading, and we'll read it together here just in a moment. Um, And what's described here in Acts chapter 2 for all practical purposes is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us who is here this morning is here because of what happened here in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is finally given to come and indwell and fill those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit to, to live in them and to be with them and to empower them to accomplish Everything that Jesus instructed them to do in the passage we looked at last week in chapter 1. To go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as always is the case when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the one who trusts in Jesus as Savior. uh, Powerful, transformational things happen. Let's read verses 1 through 21 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. Hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire 
vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned unto darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage you've given to us. Um, It is exciting to see uh, the work of Jesus Christ continue last week and and now this week uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. Thank you for this book that helps connect um, the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was here on earth to his ministry here on earth right now through the Holy Spirit um, who's empowering and indwelling everyone who's trusted in Christ as Savior. And God, as we study this passage this morning, I pray that um, you would help us to recognize the same power that's available to us, um, God, and, and that we would see the importance of the gospel, not just to, to get us saved and to bring us into the church that you birthed in this passage, but to apply to our lives every single day and to, and to proclaim to all those around us so that they can hear that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help us to be faithful in the mission you assigned to us of making disciples of Jesus Christ as we are going about our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 through 4, that records the comforter being received. And um, there are two symbolic signs that help us know that this is when that happened. Verse 1 tells us that when uh, the Holy Spirit came, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. And it was at... It was at the time of this Jewish celebration, their Feast of Pentecost. In Greek, that word means 50, and that's because it was 50 days, always celebrated 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits. And uh, it's interesting, that, that feast, the Feast of the First Fruits, it happened on this particular year on what we call Easter Sunday, on that Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And, and it's not just interesting, but I think also powerfully designed by God to help us remember that Jesus, his resurrection is the first fruits of yours and mine if we've trusted in Christ as Savior. So, so 50 days after Christ rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death, the Feast of Pentecost was celebrated here. And we're going to learn in a moment uh, that the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles and to the other disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's talk a little bit more about this Feast of Pentecost. It's also called in in Scripture the Feast of Weeks, and it's a harvest celebration. Uh, But its main intent was to commemorate the giving of the law to God's people at Mount Sinai. So what an appropriate time uh, for the Holy Spirit to be given to the church and for the church to be born. If we were to look back in Jeremiah 31 Verses 31 to 33, God promised his people Israel that a day would come when he would make a new, a new covenant with them. And we learned uh, some about that in our study through Hebrews, the new covenant. And God says in Jeremiah 31, 33, that part of that new covenant would include God putting his law in their minds and writing it on their hearts. It, just, it wouldn't just be on a, a stone tablets anymore. It wouldn't be only on a Torah scroll in the synagogue or in the temple. No, he would put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That is what happened if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, and God fulfilled this promise to you. He put his law in your mind, and he wrote it in your heart. 
How do we know that? Well, what I mean and what God's word means by this is that when the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, when you first got saved, you were given new affections. Think about it. Things that you never really cared much for before, all of a sudden you had a love, a desire for, like to come do this. I mean, this is kind of weird in our, in our culture. It shouldn't be. Um, it, it's kind of crazy that even the Bible Belt, this is becoming weird. Our people have never been to anything like this. But when you think about it in culture, um, people coming together to study a thousand-year-old book and to sing together, I mean, outside of a ball game or maybe a concert, people really don't sing together much anymore. And you've got a love for this and a love for serving each other and a love for uh, a bunch of people who are very different from you. You have new affections. You had new aversions. He wrote his law on your mind. He wrote it on your heart. Things that you used to love, <laughs> you were so passionate about, you couldn't live without. All of a sudden, some of those things you began to be convicted about and say, you know what, I don't really need that in my life. I no longer have a taste for that. Uh, listen, I, I just love how God chose this particular feast, the Feast of Pentecost, that, that celebrated God giving his law to his people uh, uh, at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. He chose this exact time to send his Holy Spirit to his New Testament, to his New Covenant people. And every time we come together like we are this morning, we ought to celebrate the Holy Spirit living in us empowering us to follow Jesus Christ. We need to praise God and celebrate that we are a part of this new covenant with God, that he has put his law uh, in our minds, that he has written it in our hearts. Notice also in verse one that they are still in one accord. We highlighted that um, pretty significantly last week. They're in this place, they're all meeting together and they are in one accord. And as we learned last week, there's a notable unity here among Jesus' followers. Previous displays of pride, they have been extinguished. Um, they are unified in their identity in Jesus Christ and in the mission that he has assigned them. Now we move on to verse 2 and we read of the Holy Spirit's arrival. The comforter is received here by Christ's followers. Like God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is referred to by a number of different uh, names or titles in God's word. Uh, the Spirit of Truth an advocate. My personal favorite is comforter. That's the one Jesus uh, promised. That's what Jesus called them. And he is received here. Verse 2 says that all of a sudden, there's a sound. Where does it come from? And God's word here says it comes from heaven. Every time you get a sound coming from heaven in scripture, let me tell you, it is a sound. Unmistakable that it's uh, supernatural in, in origin. Right, what kind of noise is it? Verse 2 says it's as a rushing mighty wind. It wasn't the wind. It was as. A big storm didn't blow through that one room in that one house in Jerusalem alone. No, it was as, though, a rushing mighty wind. We have hurricanes down here, right? Uh, Y'all have heard the sound of a sustained rushing mighty wind. When the comforter was received here, the, the first symbolic sign of his coming was just like that. It was an audible one that filled the, the whole house where they were sitting. But there was also a visual cue that, uh, had, that the Holy Spirit had arrived. The second symbolic sign of the comforter finally being received by those who had trusted Christ as their Savior is described in verse 3. They're cloven 
Oh, it's a King James word for divided. Divided tongues with the appearance of fire sitting upon each of them. I'm trying to visualize that. I've seen pictures, you know, in my kid's Bible. But I, I suppose it means sitting on top of their heads because that's the upon of most of us. That's the top of most of us. So, so gale force, uh, wind like noise that they, they could all hear. And uh, these flaming tongues above each of their heads that they could all see. There's your two symbolic signs that the comforter has been received and that the church has been born. And this all resulted in one mysterious manifestation. Look how verse 4 describes it. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So God, God's Word um, differentiates between uh, us being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and us being filled by the Holy Spirit. There's actually no mention in this passage uh, explicitly that they were indwelt here. But since they were filled, I believe the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is implied in this passage. But if we went back to Acts 1-5 where we were last week, and if we go forward, uh, Acts 11:15 to 16 it actually refers back to this event. And it does say that this is when they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so this was no temporary filling. They're filled with the Holy Spirit here. This is no temporary filling like we would see oftentimes in the Old Testament. Um, Saul, David, Elijah, Elisha, other Old Testament characters would temporarily be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, this is a whole another level. This is a new thing happening. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell and, and to fill these men in this passage, to fill them. Uh, he's come to uh, dwell with every person who trusts Christ as Savior from this moment on that we're reading about right here to, to live in, to remain with, to stay. He doesn't go like he did in the Old Testament. When you trust Christ as Savior, he indwells you. He's, he's there until God calls you home or until Christ returns for us. And, and so, yes, there is a difference between uh, being indwelt by the Spirit and being filled by him. Every believer is permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. But whether or not we are filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's dependent on whether or not we've made room for him to fill us. If we've got anything else out of the way. To be filled with a spirit like verse 4 describes uh, in scripture when the, that record is always of unusual displays, unusual power for ministry. To either serve God or to speak for the glory of God. And what goes on here? The very same thing. Uh, what happened when all of these were, were filled with the Holy Ghost? The end of verse 4 says that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We need to understand a, a couple of different things here. And we'll see it as we go on. Because this is just the first of many instances of this particular uh, mysterious manifestation happening First of all, the tongues that are referred to here, they, they are actual human languages, uh, un, previously unknown to the speaker, but understood by the hearer. The Greek word for tongues in this passage is dialectos. It's where we get our English word for dialect. And, and as I just mentioned, though, they, they were previously unknown to the speaker. <laughs> so this is one mysterious manifestation here at this particular time when they're filled by the Spirit. N none of these apostles... Or disciples, none of them uh, took a crash course in foreign languages that night uh, before. 
And none of them had, had just bought the Rosetta Stone curriculum or got uh, the Duolingo little owl app on their phone and quickly learned this language. How did they do this? It tells us, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So like the Holy Spirit himself, it was a gift. Like everything we receive in God's grace, it's a gift. And this was no private manifestation. It quickly became public. Let's look at the crowd and them seeing it and their response in verses 5 to 13. Uh, we are first told in verses 5 through 11 of the, the demographics. We learned back in verse 1 that this occurred during the Feast of Pentecost. So there were Jews and what verse 10 calls proselytes. Those are individuals who are in the conversion process to Judaism. Uh, and they were from all over the then known world assembled at Jerusalem for this very important annual feast, the Feast of Pentecost. Verse 5 describes them as being from every nation under heaven. And then verse 6 assures us that the mysterious manifestation that occurred in the house earlier, it did not stay there. Uh, the Holy Spirit filled followers of Jesus who were speaking in other languages they hadn't previously known. Uh, it was heard. It says it was noised abroad. A multitude of people came together to witness that. Verse 6 says uh, that they were confounded. That's why I termed it a mysterious manifestation. They can't figure out why this is happening. They can't figure out really how these Jesus followers are supernaturally speaking in all of these different languages. Not just confounded, verses 7 and 8 describe it as, as them being amazed. I mean, marveled at this. And here's why. Because all of these Holy Spirit-filled, different language-speaking Jesus followers, they were Galileans. They're simple, rural people who rarely would be educated in so many other languages, not, definitely not so many, and from so many different places. Now, I don't know how this crowd um, knew that they were Galileans, knew where they all came from. Maybe it was by how they dressed. There was a different dress style. That happens from place to place. When I first, um, I don't think I was even pastor yet. I think I was still a youth pastor here. And there was a member and I'm not going to go into specifics because it's not really important, but a member uh, here was having a surgical procedure up in Fayetteville, and um, we were without a pass. We had Dr. White, but, um, and so I, I went to go pray with her before the surgical procedure, minor, minor thing, like an a outpatient, and um, I was a little nervous, though, because uh, I didn't know, like, how am I going to get to her? And um, she said her family would be there, but I really hadn't met any of her family because they don't come here. They go to a different church. And um, I remember going up into there, and I was trying to, like, how am I going to recognize who these people are so I can get with her and pray with her before she has her procedure? And I walked up, and I saw the receptionist, and I looked over in the waiting room, and I said, bingo, I found them. You know how I knew? But how they were dressed. I did. I said, that's some Bladen County people right there. <laughs> Especially the guys. Because you know what the guys had on? Had a shirt like Ray's wearing, one of them Columbia fishing shirts. A um, couple of the, I think their grandsons looked like they just walked out of line ones with those Southern Tide. Every man had hey dudes. It's a Bladen County. I said, that's them. And sure enough, it was. I don't know, I think that may be what happened here. But they knew they were Galileans. Remember, the human author of Acts is uh, the doctor 
He's a doctor and Jesus' follower named Luke. And like a doctor, he's big on details. So in verses 9 through 11, he gives us some details about the demographics of everybody involved here. These probably Greek or Aramaic-speaking rural Galilean disciples of Jesus, they were supernaturally Holy Spirit-empowered. Look at this list. To speak in the languages of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, even big old metropolitan Rome. That had to be supernatural. So no wonder the crowd's response was to be confused and amazed and to marvel at this. Notice at the end of verse 11 um, what the message was in all of these languages spoken. It wasn't the gospel, not yet. That's coming later on in this passage and then next week. But the message that was heard in all these different languages was the wonderful works of God. Christian, you may not have an opportunity to give out the whole plan of salvation when you interact with people. Maybe when you go to a, a gas station and you're, you begin up starting a conversation or with a lady in food line or with a co-worker but that might be the best thing that you can communicate to your unbelieving family and friends is the wonderful works of God. It might just be the seed that God uses to plant in their lives and to open their hearts to at one point receive the gospel, receive Christ as their savior eventually. So never stop proclaiming the wonderful works of God. They are wonderful to you, aren't they? And your experience, they're full of wonder. That's what wonderful means, full of wonder. So make sure this word, world, make sure they know that that's how you see them. That's how you see him. Look at the disbelief, verses 12 to 13. Sadly, we learn of the continued response of the crowd. Verse 12 says, and while they couldn't deny all that was happening, they began to question how and, and why it was happening. And they came up with an explanation in verse 13. These people are drunk. Does that make a whole lot of sense to you? Not to me. Um, I wish it wasn't the case, but I have been around inebriated people often enough, uh, and I have never once seen them be able to do this. To speak in other languages? Most of the time when I've been around them, they're having a rough time speaking their own language with any kind of coherence. I ain't never seen this. Even further, in the celebration at the Feast of Pentecost, something that we might not know culturally, uh, there was required fasting. So you couldn't eat or drink until 10 a.m., and we're going to see in a minute why that's evidence Peter gives for the crowd's initial response being inadequate. But, but know this, Jesus follower, the unbelieving world, they will try to explain away what God is miraculously doing in your life and through your life when you're indwelt, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. They will. They will um, look at you and your devotion to Christ, your devotion to God's word, and they'll say, great on you. I'm sorry, you have to have that crutch just to survive. Um, they will likely do exactly what these people did here. They will mock and deride you for living your life so differently, for submitting to God's will and to God's word. Stay the course. Do it anyway. It's worth it, isn't it? Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better. Lastly, let's take a look now at what the disciples say um, about the crowd's explanation. There's a connection that's revealed here. Peter says, it ain't drunkenness. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 is so incredible. It says, Peter, you know, Peter, the one that 53 or so days earlier, he denied even knowing Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested. Peter 
stands up with the other apostles. He stands up and he lifts up his voice. There's no denial this time. There's no cursing like happened around that fire while Jesus was being tried. No, there's been a change in Peter. Peter stands up. The Holy Spirit of Christ has begun a transformation here. And Peter starts preaching. He says, hey, everybody, listen up. Hearken to my words. We're not drunk. <laughs> Peter says in verse 15, it's too early for any of that. It's the, it's the third hour, meaning 9 a.m. So the fast isn't even over. We can't eat. We can't drink for another hour. So you all have a faulty conclusion about what's going on here. But I understand your amazement. So let me tell you what God is doing. And Peter goes to God's word that we read earlier together in Joel chapter 2. Peter goes to God's word for a sermon that he preaches to this vast multitude. He'll do that repeatedly as we study uh, the rest of the sermon in the weeks ahead. The events of Acts 2 are connected. There's a connection revealed here to, to Joel 2. And Peter reveals this connection to the crowd. See, God promised in that passage we read earlier together that a day would come in the last days. And we learned in our study in Hebrews chapter 1 that the last days began when Jesus first came. So if anybody ever asks you, do you think it's the last days? Say, yeah, the Bible says so. It's been the last days for 2,000 years. A day would come in the last days when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Peter tells the crowd, that prophecy, that promise from God, it's happening right now before your eyes. God promised that this pouring out of his spirit would result in their sons and their daughters prophesying, their young men seeing visions, their old men dreaming dreams. And like verse 18 says, God will pour out his spirit on all his spirit, his servants. The Holy Spirit will be given. That's what's happening here in Acts 2, 1 through 21. The comforter will be received, just like Jesus promised. He will permanently indwell every person who trusts in Christ as Savior, and God will fill with his Holy Spirit anyone who will empty out, anyone who will get rid of anything that's taking up room, preventing them from being filled. There will be other things happening too. Not just the supernatural work of the Spirit, but supernatural wonders from God in the sky. Peter's quoting from uh, the book of Joel, a prophecy from Joel. And so anytime that we come across prophecy in the Scripture, um, we have to realize that God has designed it so that there's often dual fulfillments, a near-term one for the people back then when it was first given, but also one that will come later, sometimes even multiple fulfillments. 53 days before this event right here that we're reading about this morning, Jesus was crucified on the cross, right? And as he died, as he uttered that it is finished, what happened to the sun? It was turned to darkness for a little bit, wasn't it? But what's described here in verses 19 and 20 with the, the moon turning red and, and all these other supernatural wonders um, that didn't happen when Jesus was on Calvary. It didn't happen right here. It's not recorded as to have happened right here. So we know that's something that's, that's a part of Joel's prophecy, God's promise that's going to happen yet. It will happen, though. God's word promised it in Joel. It's repeated here in Acts. It's also in Revelation that these supernatural wonders in the sky, they will happen when Christ returns for us. And then Peter wraps up this Joel section of his Pentecost sermon in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's about to happen when we get through chapter 2. Uh, so those supernaturally speaking in different languages earlier that, that drew the attention of the crowd, they might not have been giving out the gospel. They were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. But Peter sure begins to do so here in verse 21, doesn't he? 
For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It reminds me of um, what we often call the Romans road. You know, that, that um, section of scriptures in Romans that we can use to help explain the gospel. It begins in Romans 3.23 and usually ends somewhere around Romans 10, 9 and 10. Th- those last verses there say this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. Or as it states through Peter, quoting Joel here in verse 21, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel, in that little quotation of Joel in verse 21, that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Not whosoever will hope to have any of their good things outweigh the bad things they've done in life in some human-derived moral balance that we've come up with. Not whosoever uh, who has been a faithful attender or member of this church or that church. It doesn't say that. Not whosoever will uh, be baptized or, or take communion. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith. Whosoever will be totally dependent on God's grace alone to us in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, they'll be saved. Whosoever will. Those are two beautiful words. Who's whosoever? You. Yousoever. If, if you have or if you will do this. Can you look back and point to a time in your life when the Holy Spirit used God's word to help you understand, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I need salvation from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin over my life. Has there been a moment when you did this? You called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. When you confessed with your mouth in prayer to God that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And you told God, I believe that what Jesus did on that cross and in that empty tomb is what saves me. When you look back when you said, Lord, give me new life now. Give me eternal life through Jesus one day in heaven forever. If not, do that today, even as I'm talking right now. We're going to have a time of invitation. Do it right now. Christian, you who have already done this, you've been saved, you've been born again, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you want to live your life just indwelt? Or do you want to live your life filled? <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit. To be used by God to communicate the wonderful works of God to everyone around you and what you say and how you live. And it's clear in this passage, but we're going to see it taught repeatedly through the book of Acts, that a powerful life transformation always happens when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the follower of Jesus. We come to him in dependent faith to the foot of the cross, just as I am. But never once does God ever leave someone that way. He changes them. A.W. Tozer once said this in one of his sermons, the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. No, there's a change. There is always a change. People go like Peter from being deniers of Christ to being preachers of Christ. They stand up in the midst of a world, an unbelieving world, just like Peter did here, to give the gospel, to live the gospel message that's transformed their lives. I'm not talking about perfection, but there's always a change, like we mentioned earlier. New affections, new aversions, when the Holy Spirit indwells a person. If there is no transformation, if there is no guilt and sin, if there's no battle with sin whatsoever, I don't mean to be unkind, uh, but because God's word says it, 
because I care about you, if there has been no change and there's no battle with sin at all, you need to, you need to check God's word. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you truly trusted in Christ as Savior? Do you want this morning to be used by God to tell those around you who haven't come to Christ and they're headed to an eternity in hell without him? That doesn't have to be your path. That doesn't have to be your destiny. Will you tell God right now, I want to do that. Use me, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit power if I'm going to do that like Peter did here. And I'll tell them, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come to Christ this morning for salvation if you haven't. And if you have, won't you ask God, fill me with the Holy Spirit who indwells me. God, I empty out whatever it is. Sin, anything though. Anything that is getting in the way that's preventing me from being filled with the Spirit. Because I want to be like Peter. I want to stand up for Christ. I want to be like these first followers of Jesus Christ courageously proclaiming Christ in this world, to this world. That's our assigned mission. And starting last week, so right now this morning, the mission is a go. As Tommy comes and leads us in a, a time to respond to God's word and to thank him and to commit to obeying him, however the Holy Spirit's used his word to call you to obey, I just ask that you do that.